welcome to the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight, the podcast where we uncover the secrets of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and visionaries who've used public speaking to skyrocket their businesses and their bottom line. Get ready for captivating stories, valuable insights, and practical wisdom from the trailblazers who've mastered the art of the stage. I'm your host, Kelly O'Hara, and I'm thrilled to bring their experiences and expertise directly to you. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of the podcast, where we will have the privilege of diving into the world of time optimization with a true expert, John J.D. Munn. John's a beacon of knowledge in the realm of empowering entrepreneurs to find the sweet spot between working less and achieving more. He has an extraordinary track record of transforming burnt out work weeks into blissful 20 hour success stories. John's prowess lies in guiding six-figure and beyond entrepreneurs to unparalleled accomplishments, all while keeping their work week under 20 hours. In John's view, the myth that productivity equates to busyness is debunked. His mission is clear, to rectify the misconception that effective work demands excessive hours. With John's methods, he's shown that you can actually make more money by working less. John's methods have not only saved his clients an astonishing 21,840 hours, but have also generated a staggering 24 million in additional revenue within a single year. Beyond being an accomplished entrepreneur, John has earned multiple awards and accolades, including being named in prestigious categories such as the Great British Entrepreneur of the Year, Social Entrepreneur of the Year, and Digital Changemaker of the Year. His diverse ventures, including pioneering the world's first ancient alcohol brewery and leading an environmental social enterprise, have fortified his expertise in productivity and remote team management. So much so, he's even a valued contributor to the UK government's courses on remote work. Today, John shares his practical wisdom, equipping entrepreneurs with strategies to optimize their time, supercharge productivity, and foster sustainable business growth. Get ready to unlock a treasure trove of insights as we delve into the art and science of time optimization with none other than John J.D. Munn. Hello, John. Hi, Kelly. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I'm delighted to have you, and I'll be paying very close attention to everything that you say because time optimization is challenging to most of us. So I'm very excited to have you here on the show today. My favorite part of any interview is getting to know the why behind the shift. And John, your journey from burnout work weeks to empowering entrepreneurs with time optimization strategies is more than just inspiring. Could you share with us your personal turning point that led you to delve into this realm of expertise? Yeah, great question. I I grew up in a small town. Um, I grew up in a single parent family and, and things were tough. And I always grew up with the idea that I wanted to make a lot of money. That, that was my goal. That's what I set out to do. And I started businesses, including that that brewery that was mentioned, the first one to specialize in ancient alcohol. And the idea was to make boatloads of money. I'm not going to hide that. That was the goal. And while I was running that, I met other people for the first time in my life. 
I met people that had real money, that were millionaires. I, I had a mentor that had run a hedge fund and he was worth hundreds of millions. And I met all these people. And one thing really struck me was they all had loads of money, but they were all unhappy. And to me, that didn't make sense. I had grown up in, in this difficult position and I always thought when I've got money, when I've got this kind of stuff, things will be fixed. And the more I met people with money, the more I realized that's not the case. Money only solves money problems. And when all those money problems have been fixed, you're left with everything else. And things then start to get tough because you have to really deal with the core stuff, the fundamental things. The, the turning point for me came a little bit later, actually. That's, that's what planted the seed, seeing these people. But a, uh, about a year, two years after this, I was actually, I was on Facebook wasting my time. Um, and I saw this video on there. It had gone viral. It was like 2017 or something um, about jelly beans. You know, the, the little sweets? Yes. The little yeah. candies? Yeah, yeah, jelly beans. Anyway, this guy had got just over 28,000 jelly beans in like buckets, got them all together. And he poured them in the middle of the floor. And each jelly bean represents a day in the average American's life. So based on your life expectancy, it's just over 28,000 days that you, you're expected to live. Doesn't sound so many, but it's a, it's a reasonable number. But yeah, he pours all these jelly beans out on the floor. And then he takes away piles of jelly beans to represent time. So here's the time that you spent growing up, just going to school, doing all that kind of stuff before you're age 18, 21. Okay. That time's gone. Here's the time that you spend commuting to work. The average person spends this much time commuting to work. Here's the time. And he takes away a pile of jelly beans for how much time you're going to be asleep. Okay, so of your life, if you sleep in eight hours a day, even if you sleep in less, we're, we're taking away that much time. You've not got that. Okay, you have to sleep. And then at the end, you've got this this tiny pile of jelly beans. Like, it's, it's mind-blowing how small this pile is that you left. It says, okay, this is the time that you've got. You know, what are you going to do with it? And it, it, the video ends with a question of just, yeah, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do with your time? And where I was at that point, I was working 60, 70 hours a week and I was a bit burned out. And I saw this, this video and I, I remembered about all those people that were rich, but miserable. And I just thought, what am I doing? You know? And I took that a step further and calculated based on my mum's um, life expectancy, how many more times, based on how many times I see her on average for the last five years, how many more times am I going to see her before she dies? Mm. And for me, that was less than 20 times. And it really struck me that I'm only ever going to see my mum 20 more times. And it doesn't feel like that when you go and you speak with these people and it's, there are, there are all families are a bit annoying and there are this and that, and it feels like an inconvenience sometimes. But when you put it into context, when you actually realize how, how little time you've got left, for me, that that created a, a seismic shift. 
So I looked at my life the way that it was. And I said, yeah, something, something's got to change here. You know, I, it's not acceptable to me that I'm only going to see these people 20 more times, or I'm only going to see my friends X number of times because I'm working so much like that. That's, that's not okay. Um, and I thought, what am I even working for? You know, like when I've got the money and I was doing all right by that point, when I've got the money, it's, it doesn't make that big of a difference. You've got to have some, you've, you've got to be comfortable, but to, to, to get to that, that level for me, what wasn't the thing. And it's not that that isn't a good goal or that isn't what some people want to do. That's, that's cool. You do that thing. But for me, it was reassessing what, what do I want? And for me, I realized that I value time much more highly than I had thought previously. And so I shifted the way that I do things. I spent a lot of time and a lot of money learning about in inverted commas productivity. Um, a lot of productivity things are all about doing more and trying to cram as much into as little time. And I try and take it from a different angle of, okay, what things actually make a difference? Let's only do those. Um, but I'm sure we'll get into that. But I looked into this and I, I readjusted the way that I did everything. So I, I totally changed the way that I ran my business. I changed the way that I prioritize things in my life. Um, I changed what I do daily activities to things that actually I find rewarding. So for me, those two things coming together, meeting those really wealthy people and, and being like, yeah, you've got the same problems as everybody else. Like you're not as happy as I thought you should be. Um, that combined with this <laughs> jelly bean video, like this two minute long viral video, like genuinely it changed my life. Um, so yeah, now I, I changed a lot of stuff and people started asking me for help and I got more into that and now I really enjoy helping other people uh, kind of restructure their life I guess and restructure their business so that they don't have to work 70 hours a week so that they can work 20 hours a week or fewer and actually enjoy their time and with at least with all the clients I've ever worked with as a byproduct you actually end up making more money and that, that's been true with me. And it's been true with the 200 plus clients that I've worked with. Because you spend your time on more focused stuff, doing stuff that actually makes a difference, you work less and you make more money because the things that you're doing are the things that make a difference. So it, it sounds counterintuitive, but I think when you put it into that context, it, yeah, of course, you're working fewer hours, but the hours that you do are the things that make a difference. So now I spend my time helping people do that. That I have to tell you something. That's an incredible story. Sincerely, that jelly bean story. I have to have that video. I have to take a look at it. As you were talking, I can send you a link. Yeah, please do. Because I have to say that really put things into perspective. And the story of your mom, you know, I'm really close to my mom. My mom passed away. And I remember the last couple of years were pretty gruesome. And I remember thinking, I'm so grateful for this time. And I think a lot of us might consider taking heart when you think about that, you're only going to see your mom 20 more times. That really puts things in perspective. That puts a spin on things. So, wow, that's a game changing story. I have to tell you, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. So yeah, I, I strongly recommend that that people sit down and just take 10 minutes and, and think about that, like based on life expectancy or whatever, how many 
how, how many more times are you actually going to see this person based on how many times you see them per year at the moment? And it's, it's one of the, it's a small thing that, ma that makes a big difference. One of the things that I realized when I started doing that was honestly one of the best things I've ever done in my life is I record family interviews with every member of my family now. So we do, it's like a, an hour long thing. We sit down just with a mobile phone camera uh, and mic and we sit down and we just talk about stuff like their background or what they want to do in the future or whatever. And it's, it's totally changed my relationships with every member of my family, but also it's been really insightful and really nice for me. And, and my, my granddad died just over a year ago, but I have these, these interviews with him where he's talking about things and it's so nice and, and, and powerful to, to hear him talking about these things or, or what he did or what he wishes for other people or just talking about his life. And a lot of people, when they lose somebody, they always mention that the thing that they miss most is the sound of the person's voice. How did that person gesticulate? What does that person sound like? And people eventually, a lot of people start to feel guilty later on because they realize that they start to forget. And I've lost people in my life and I've experienced that and it sucks. Like it is, it's difficult to deal with. And having these, these relatively short interviews not only give me a chance to connect with them when they're alive, but it also gives me a chance to connect with them now in a way and, and retain that. But also for future members of my family, when I talk with my kids about my granddad, they can actually see who that is. It's not just a name in history. It's, it's, it's a thing, you know? And that all came from, from that video and sitting down and calculating how much time do I have with these people and, and putting actions, doing things, putting things into place and, and doing things that I would make a difference. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant concept. Everyone should hear this interview in just this short period of time. Uh, you shifted a lot of things and you're absolutely right. I, I, at, at certain point you do forget the sound of their voice and you miss it. And you want to hear it again i can't think of a better thing to do we could finish now and i would feel like this was an incredible interview together so let's keep going because i want to explore this further so on this subject you um you talk about you know there's always the issue of productivity and it doesn't necessarily equate to business to busyness and a lot of people are trapped into the idea of more hours mean more results, but that's a misconception. So you've, you know, you've given us a lot to think about so far, far, but how do you redefine productivity for entrepreneurs that are seeking to achieve more, but for working less? And how about the subject, you know, th there's always the challenge of prioritization. How do you guide your students in identifying those most important tasks and making sure that those receive, you know, the attention they deserve? Yeah, yeah, good question. We'll, we'll get into the business stuff. Um, Got to do it. With <laughs> productivity, you're right. A lot of people think you work more actually means you do more. And it, pretty much every study on this, and I'm happy to link to studies with this, shows that there's a drop-off point. And it makes sense that there's a bell curve. So you do more and it does lead to more results, 
but then you get to a point and then it starts to drop. Now, if I ask you how many hours in a day do you think it is that that, that drop-off point is, what, what would you think? Well, I'm, I'm kind of a workaholic, so I, I work a lot, a lot of hours, but I do it because I enjoy it. But I would say somewhere around six and a half hours, seven hours is, you know, you can tell there's a shift. Yeah. It's, the studies show it's about two hours and 50 minutes. So <laughs> just under three hours. Well, I'm totally off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, most people are. Most people are putting the oh. extra hours in. And it, it doesn't mean that you, after two hours and 50 minutes, that's it. It's not worth it anymore. It just means that it's less worth it than it was before. Okay. But then after that, at about the seven hour mark, which is what you mentioned, you actually see negative returns that because you're working now, the quality of the output drops so much that you probably need to fix that output. You probably need to do that work again in order to bring it back up to standard or you need to to do all these other things okay so that's about the seven hour mark for most people so it begs the question why are people working eight nine ten eleven some cases 12 hours plus per day because your actual return on investment on that time drops very significantly after the third hour so what you can do in those three hours massively, massively outweighs what you do after the fifth hour. When you know that, it starts to not make sense to work more than, let's say, four hours in a day. It just it doesn't make sense because you start to move into negative returns where the work is lower quality, which is bad for you. It's bad for clients. But also, you probably need to fix that work. So... That, that type of thing really helps you say, well, why am I doing six, seven hours a day? Like it, that, it, it's, it's negative. It's, it's a detractor. So redefining productivity, very much not a case of how many hours you work. Um, to an extent, it's important. You do need to put in some work with it, but it's not the be all and end all. I, I like to think of productivity as getting the stuff done that's, moving you towards achieving the results that you intend to achieve so it's, it's it's more focusing on the things that make a difference so if it is moving you towards your goal so productivity is just have you done the stuff that you wanted to do have you done the stuff that moves you forward yes or no if you did do the stuff that moves you forward you've been productive nice if you've not done the stuff that moves you forward, you've not been productive. And maybe we'll try again tomorrow. It's when you look at it like that, and you'll see through through time tracking, I'm sure we'll mention time tracking, but you'll see that a lot of your work day, if you're working seven, eight, nine hours a day, a lot of that day is spent doing stuff that you cannot honestly say moves the business forward. It's spent a lot of doing doing treading the water tasks or tasks that feel nice, that feel productive, but don't actually move the needle. Now, what we focus on is just, let's identify the stuff that does move the, ne does move the needle, that does move you forward. Let's identify the tasks that make a difference, and let's do those. Let's do more of those. Let's do that more, you know? Because if we're cutting our work week down, that doesn't mean that we have to work less on some things. 
a lot of the time it means this this five percent of tasks that you do that make a difference that five percent is now going to be fifty percent we're going to do those tasks way more because those tasks do something and these other tasks that we're not really doing anything let's get rid of them let's automate them let's outsource them let's delete them let's let's whatever just we're not doing those anymore we're going to do the stuff that makes a difference so brilliant that's how i like to look at productivity (laughs) you'd make it sound so simple because it makes so much sense i love that i absolutely love it well you gotta address the fact that you've saved clients twenty one thousand eight hundred and forty hours these are some amazing stats and generated 24 million in additional revenue in a single year. You got to explain that. You, you're just going to have to share that with me. Yeah, they're my stats from last year. So I update the stat every year with things. So that's how things went last year. And it's, you said it sounds simple. You, I make it sound so simple. It is. Honestly, it, it is quite simple. It, the process is relatively simple actually doing that is sometimes where it comes in a bit difficult or knowing which things to cut or which things to focus on and having that the outside perspective really helps that um having somebody that's independent and objective looking at it makes a big difference whether that's me or somebody else you work with or whatever somebody objective that can say okay why are you doing this how does this make a difference so with those those numbers last year, that was with uh, 18 key clients. I had a few other small clients as well, but that's the numbers for my 18 key clients last year. And it's so each of them on average made more than a million dollars with that. And it's it's one of these things that when they first start working with me, a lot of people start working with me because they're they're burnt out. They're working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. They've got clients that they they don't really like, but they feel like they have to work with because it's good money. They're doing these 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 tasks that are uh, soul crushing in some in some instances. Things that it, it's it's sometimes it becomes difficult to get up and work on the business. It's like, oh, why am I doing this? A lot of the times, people come to me when they're at that stage, and honestly, that's too late. And um, we can fix that, but it's way harder. It's 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 like waiting until your car runs totally out of gas before you bother going to the to to the petrol pump, you know? If you're already on empty, you've got to push the car there now. Like this this is gonna be hard. You know? <laughs> let's let's try and get there before you're empty so you can fill it up and keep going, you know? So a lot of the people come to me at that stage where it's just about reducing the the amount of hours and, and getting things working so that they can have a life again really and to them it seems like a happy accident they start making more money because they just want it to work less and they, they go wow I'm, I'm making twice as much money as i was before and it's like yep because you're doing the stuff that makes a difference um and it that's really nice to see you know but it can it can work from people that haven't even started their business yet like getting things in place so that things can scale properly and that you can get the business going from zero to to 100k 500k a million getting that level the same principles work the same principle it works exactly the same way or some businesses that i've worked with for example like a um chiropractor in, across florida he's got a few practices across florida he was already doing 15 million dollars a year and when you start working with people like that it's mind-blowing that 
not only do these principles work for them, but they also work for their workforce. They work for their employees as well. Whereas actually you can make your employees way happier and they make more money and you do all this sort of stuff by, you know, by implementing these principles properly. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a structure. It's a, a, a way of doing things. It's a way of thinking. Well, this sounds incredible. And at the same time, you're working with a lot of high ticket individuals and companies but you also are involved in the uk's government courses as well on remote work and that's quite noteworthy can you share some key takeaways from that contribution that you've made because it's great to hear that you're working with you know it's great the multimillionaires. that's terrific but you know everyday people it sounds like you've got your fingers in a lot of pies you've diversified yourself yeah, is I like working with diverse clients and, and diverse people because it's interesting for me. So I, I'm in a fortunate position where I don't have to do this. I do this because I enjoy doing it. And I like working with people from all walks of life. So while I have had multi-million dollar clients, the vast majority of my clients are people that have just started out or that are relatively small, doing maybe 100K, 200K a year, uh, solopreneurs a lot of the time. Or I've had people, one of my, one of my clients, a, um, yeah, one of my clients, he, I was going to say his name, um, one of my clients, he was on disability allowance beforehand and he wanted to start a business and I helped him go from that and now he's doing, doing 300k a year and that's, that's, we got into six figures within five months, you know, from disability to six figures within five months and that's really nice to see, but yeah, the UK government, the remote courses side of things. Um, I'm one of the, <laughs> it sounds weird, but old guard in the sense I was doing remote work way before the pandemic. So I've been remote for like 10 years. And that remote remote working course, we, we first started doing that in 2018. And I had been asked by, by the government to be on like round tables and think tanks and things like that to help with the government strategy. For digital, for digital education mainly, but for remote work as well. And eventually, through those talks, they asked if I wanted to help out with uh, their remote working course, which they started developing in 2018 and, and got released in 2019. And so I worked with them and um, the University of Leeds, which is a big university in the UK. And the UK government's got like institutes of, of these kinds of things. So like the Digital Skills Institute and things like that. So I worked with them to develop this course. And I worked on pretty much every module and helped them bring it together. And it was just teaching people how to work remotely as an individual, but also teaching businesses how to get the most out of remote teams. So I was doing this from 2018 and we've updated it a couple of times and I've done other things like that since. But yeah, it's really rewarding to to help things on, on that kind of national and the course is available internationally as well, like international level of helping people improve remote work. And it was when the pandemic hit, obviously the, the course took off because everybody was in that situation. But it was good to 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 be involved in, and to help on that kind of level, you know. That's incredible. You're a giver. I mean, clearly. Um, this is a mission. Clearly for you, this is a mission. I mean, you've, you've come up with brilliant strategies and for all the right reasons, but I 
I really love hearing what impact you're having in the world itself. But I can't even consider letting you go till you talk to me about pioneering the world's first ancient alcohol brewery and leading an environmental social enterprise. I'm going to have to hear about that. Uh, I'll, I'll jump through those pretty quickly. Like, I, I know we're short on time and things. It's the, the ancient brewery I actually started while I was at university, um, which makes you a very popular student, you know? Everybody's <laughs> like, oh, wow, the other student with a brewery? Yeah, I want to be friends with that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I started that. I was fortunate enough to, to get some help from the university and some grant money with it. And I'd had some money from a business that I'd had before. And, uh, yeah, I was into brewing at the time. And I was into history. I had wanted to study history at university, um, but I got convinced to study management and marketing instead for the for the job prospects, which sounds funny now, uh, being self-employed for forever. But um, yeah, so I was into it. I tried this, um, tried making this this drink called Braggart with one of my friends that I was living with at the time, and it's this it's an old Viking drink which is kind of like mead fermented with beer at the same time. Like they're, they're brewed together a lot of the time. And we tried it and it was amazing. And I couldn't figure out why it wasn't available on the market. And so I thought, I'm going to do it. Like this tastes good. It's cool. It's got a great story. I'm going to I'm going to do it. So we started that and started specializing in, in mead and braggart first. But we made things like uh, historically accurate recipes. So the pyramids of Egypt, the workers were paid in beer. And a lot of people don't realize that. And um, yeah, they were paid in beer. That was common in ancient times. And we made the beer that they were paid in. Like we made a historically accurate recipe of that and use mass spectrometry to look at pottery and things like that. And you can analyze what ingredients have been in the pottery and work backwards and figure out what processes it's gone through and things like that. So that was really interesting. That was a, a good time. Uh, I stopped doing that for, for ethical reasons. Uh, I still drink alcohol myself, but I didn't feel comfortable promoting the sale of alcohol. One of my friends came out to me as having troubles with alcohol, and it just, for me, that, that ended it. I didn't feel comfortable being in that market anymore. So I, I sold that and moved on. And I started the global social enterprise global digital What's that about tell me about that so we operated across seven countries we're in china germany italy uk etc and we worked with top universities um such as the university of leeds um oxford uh, university of Mannheim, etc and we did digital education training but focused on the practical aspects so when I went to university, a lot of stuff was theoretical. Um, it's nice to learn the theory behind running an advert, for example, because I was I was a marketing degree. Um, but actually doing it is different. And I'd known that from running my own businesses, but the other 300 people in the lecture hall with me hadn't necessarily experienced that yet. And they would when they go into a job. And a lot of employers, so big companies, were complaining that these graduates were coming out and they'd never seen these advertising platforms or they never actually had hands-on experience with this and they wanted more and the university was complaining that things weren't practical enough and students were complaining that things weren't practical enough so we set up a social enterprise to fix that problem 
So we brought in companies like Google and Lego and Facebook, et cetera. We brought them into the university to lead practical sessions so that the, the other students could get hands-on experience with it. So for example, with Google, you would give each of the students a small ad credit and they would genuinely run an ad. And you'd run it as a competition of whoever made the most money at the end wins. You know, whoever's got the best ad wins. And we did, for example, the international piano competition, which takes place globally. They were part of it and we were digitizing them. And we did haptic surgery, which is like robot assisted surgery for, for medic students and things like that. And so we, we had practical sessions on university campuses across the, the seven countries that we operated in at the time. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. What exciting adventures you've had in business. I am really, really blown away by the breadth of your knowledge and um, the things that you've tried. And so I'd have to ask you, um, and uh, with your diverse ventures and all this expertise, what future trends do you foresee are in the realm of time optimization and productivity and, and how can entrepreneurs prepare to embrace for those changes? Yeah, so in, in terms of productivity, I think everybody's or a lot of people are aware now of, of things like ChatGPT. So AI-assisted productivity, I, that, that is, is going to be massive. It already is big, but the, the stats on it are surprising. So while 30 to 40% of Americans are aware of ChatGPT and may have used it once, it less than 2% of Americans use ChatGPT regularly within the, within their business or their work. And ChatGPT is one program of many, but they're not using AI in general regularly within their work. They might use AI inadvertently, such as through social media or, or something like this, um, or, or scheduling. But very few people are using generative AI on a regular basis. And it makes a big difference. It's, it saves you so much time and the AI is good now. It's not absolutely perfect. You still need to check it, but it's good and it's getting better. So in terms of trends, that's going to be a massive one. I, I think that's that's absolutely, it's game changing. Um, another one that I think is changing and is, is getting better is more people are working remotely. Um, I send a newsletter out each week with my, my top tips um, called Work Smart Wednesday. And one of the tips that I've included in there, uh, I think it comes out this week, I write in advance. The things that comes out this week is about, it's a great time to steal top talent. And so if you are running a, a business at the moment, a small business, a medium business, if you're running a business at the moment, a lot of big companies are forcing their employees to go back to the office. And a lot of employees want flexibility. Star performers don't need to be overlooked so much by management. They're star performers for a reason. You know, they can handle themselves. They don't need to be micromanaged. And there are a lot of these star performers that have families or that have other hobbies or they, they, they appreciate the flexibility that comes with having at least some remote working time. And they've tasted it. The pandemic has allowed people to see the benefits of remote working, how it affects, how it improves their lifestyle. Rather than having to commute for hours, which are unpaid labor, and I'm totally against that, but rather than having to commute for these hours, they've got those hours to spend with their kids, or they've got these hours to play sport or to do whatever. 
And these top performers, they can handle themselves. So there are a lot of disgruntled star performers that I think, given a little nudge, and I've seen this as well, are ready to jump ship, where they're working with these very big companies and the big companies forcing them back into the office. If you're a small, medium-sized company, this star performer might be what you might consider out of your league in terms of things. They are definitely willing to have a word with them, send them a message, and just say, hey, look, we're this company. We're doing these things. We're ambitious. We want to do this stuff. And we're willing to offer you flexi time. We're willing to offer you that flexible work in that you've had. Do you want to do it? And a lot of the time, from what I've seen, people are very happy to, to go, you know what? Yeah, I don't need to be back in the office with all the basically the star performers are babysitting everybody else. I don't want to be back babysitting these other guys. Like, I want to be set free to do this stuff. And I want to have the flexibility to enjoy my life, but the freedom to to be a star performer, you know, a freedom to go ahead with that. So that's something that I've, I'm, it's a bit more detailed than that, but I send it in my, in my newsletter. But for now, in terms of trends, those two things, leveraging AI way more, that's definitely on, on the up and it's here to stay. It's not like some of the recent technology is like a, nfts and things like that this this looks here to stay that mixed with the remote working flexible working trend i think big companies make a, a massive mistake forcing people back into the office the star performers don't need to do that the star performers can go and, and do something better I, they're available at the minute so yeah those two things i think that's a, a fabulous and realistic prediction i agree with you and a lot of those people are very willing it's, it's not about the money anymore. Now they've had some freedom and realized that, you know, time is irreplaceable. It's far more important to have the flexibility. So I know I feel that way. So there you have it, folks. This has been a captivating conversation with John Munn, a true master in the art of science and time optimization. John, your insights have been nothing short of transformative, offering us really a fresh perspective on how entrepreneurs can achieve more and work less. I paid close attention to this interview and I loved it. We're immensely grateful for your willingness to share your wealth and wisdom and experience with us today. Your journey from burnout to empowerment, it's really a testament to the power of redefining success and your mission to guide these entrepreneurs towards something more balanced and a productive life is beyond commendable. This is so needed right now. Um, here in the United States, we're way to stay busy, work more, and it's not working. So to our listeners, I hope you found John's insights as enlightening and honestly thought provoking as I have. I have loved this interview. Remember, it's not about the hours that you put in, but the effectiveness of those hours that truly matters. I, my key takeaway is like two and a half hours and then do something else. So if you're hungry for more insights on time, time optimization or sustainable growth and achieving that much sought after, you know, life work balance, then be sure to follow John's work and tap into his treasure trove of strategies he offers. Definitely get on board with his newsletter because I would absolutely, I'm going to join it. I can tell you that right now. Thank you, John. Thank you for reminding us about 
the value of our time. And it's the one thing that they don't make more of. So to those of you who joined us today, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight. If you enjoyed this conversation, I invite you to subscribe. I hope you'll leave a review and share this episode with your friends and colleagues who are ready to take their entrepreneurial journey to the next level. And remember your time is the most valuable resource and it needs to be managed to your advantage. So until next time, keep shining your spotlight, keep optimizing your time and keep reaching for those six figure aspirations. This is Kelly O'Hara, I'm signing off. Stay inspired and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight. We hope you enjoyed this deep dive once again into the remarkable stories and insights of our incredible guests. Their experiences and wisdom are not just meant to inspire you, but to provide you with actionable steps to take on your own path to success. Remember, you have a story to tell and your voice has the power to transform your business and make lasting impact. If you found value in today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an empowering conversation. We'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a review and share the show with your friends, colleagues, and your fellow visionaries. Until next time, keep speaking, keep growing, and keep reaching to make your difference. This is Kelly O'Hara signing off from the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight.